Let's begin our sermon with prayer this morning. We pray, dear Lord, every day we face uh, temptations and attacks from our enemy, the devil. Give us confidence through your word this morning that we are victorious in you and give us motivation to fight for you, to live for you in the things we think and say and do. Bless our time studying your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Um, maybe you've heard of it. We also read it this morning. Um, a giant Philistine warrior stands on the battlefield. He is like nine feet tall, a giant of a man, uh, armed with all of these deadly weapons. And he's throwing down a challenge for what in the ancient world was known as champion combat, combat by champions. He says, if any of you Israelites is willing to fight me one-on-one, -on -one, if I win, you all become subject to us, and if you win, we all will become subject to you. He's calling down curses on the Israelites. He's calling down curses on their God, this nine-foot-tall giant of a man, and he does it every day for 40 straight days, and yet after 40 days, nobody's been brave enough to take on the challenge. But then on day 41... A young shepherd boy walks out onto the field of battle, and he has virtually no armor or weapons to speak of. All he has is his little shepherd's sling, and humanly speaking, you'd say he has approximately a 0% chance of defeating Goliath, but he has a secret. God is on his side. And so, as the giant approaches, he takes aim, and the very first stone from his sling hits that giant warrior right between the eyes. Goliath collapses to the ground, and the victory is won. So it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. I think you could see why. I mean, it's an awesome underdog story. But I also think it's very famous because it's, it seems very easy to apply to our lives, doesn't it? Like, as you think of the battlefield of your life, as you think of the giants that you face in your life, uh, what character can you relate to in this story? I mean, are we not all David? That at times in life when the problems are big and scary, like we feel so very small, we feel so very unequipped, we're looking at this monster giant of a problem in our life, whatever it may be, and we can't see any way that we could get around it. But then the lesson we take is that if we can stay calm and place our trust in God, like David, we too can be victorious. In fact, if you have a strong enough faith in God, you can do anything, right? There's a Christian rock song that says it like this. Give me a heart like David, Lord. Be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. So I think that's the most common interpretation. I mean, this is not... It's not a parable. This is a real story that happened. But this is the most common way that it gets applied. Is you think of yourself as David, and you're like, I've got these big, terrifying enemies. If I just have enough faith in God, then, then I can do anything. But for this morning, and for our discussion of temptation, I would like to propose something a little bit different. What if the real application of this story, as you look at the battlefield of your life and the giants you face, what if you're not David? What if you are the terrified Israelite army? 
who's been seeing this challenge get thrown down for 40 days and you're too scared to even attempt it? What if you are looking at a problem in your life and you're so outmanned, you're so outgunned that you know there is absolutely no way that you can win? But then what if Jesus is David, the one who goes to battle in your place when you were too scared to, when you knew or thought that you couldn't, he goes in your place, slays the giant for you, and wins the victory for you. What if Jesus is David, and he's the one that brings you victory? So that concept is not just the theme of our service today, it's really the theme of our entire sermon series uh, for the season of Lent. So the point of this series that we'll be talking from now all the way till Easter, the point of it is not that if you have enough faith, you can do anything. The point of it is that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped in as your champion, he did all the things that you could never have done. He did all of the biggest, greatest things in your place. He defeated all the enemies that you were too scared to fight and unequipped to fight. And he won for you greater victories than you could ever have possibly dreamed. So the title of this series, as you can see, is called Crushed. And each week we are going to see Jesus crushing one of our scariest enemies. And so we begin today with the enemy of temptation. Let's give a listen uh, to our sermon text from Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. And there we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that's our sermon text from Hebrews chapter 4. And as always, I think a little bit of context is important. Um, this text, these verses were written about 50 AD, and they were written to a group of Christians who were having war waged on them by their culture. 50 AD culture wars. But but these culture wars did not just involve Christians being unpopular or being marginalized or being canceled. This involved things like Christians being driven out of their homes, having their property seized, being physically attacked or even killed. Um, this letter was written at a specific time when the Roman government was authorizing persecution. And so under these types of circumstances, it's not difficult to see why Christians might be tempted uh, to drift away from their faith and maybe to slide back to Judaism, which was viewed to be safer, or maybe just to slide away from religion altogether so that people would leave their lives alone. But in this time of persecution, the writer to the Hebrews encourages them to hold fast. And I was reading some different commentaries on Hebrews this week, and one of them said, I thought this was a really nice picture, that the book of Hebrews is kind of like a, a boot camp. So what happens at a boot camp? That's not rhetorical. Tell me what actually happens. At, what's a boot camp for? Work, so working out, if it's not a war, if it is a war, boot camp is for training. 
it's like where you get all the soldiers ready to go fight in the battle. So that this is kind of what the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews is about, is they're under attack. Their faith is under attack by the devil, really trying to get them to leave their faith and take the easy way. So this book is like a boot camp, and it offers them training. It offers deep understanding of like what Christianity actually is and what the gospel message offers, the eternal hope that's there. And it gives them motivation to fight for this and, and cling to this, that Jesus is worth living for and dying for. So let's keep going with this boot camp picture. If you're, if you're picturing a boot camp now, boot camp is coming to an end and soldiers are getting ready to, to go out to war. You picture a bunch of soldiers lined up and their commanding officer is standing in front of them, uh, giving them their last pep talk before battle. What would you expect to hear in the last pep talk before battle? Maybe the commanding officer would say, you got this. You're trained for this. We have the weapons for this. We have a great general. We have a great plan. We can do this. Now let's go. And they all, you know, cheer and charge off into battle. Uh, but in the book of Hebrews, we have this commanding officer, the writer of the Hebrews, inspired by God. And what he says is kind of surprising. He doesn't say, we have a great plan. He doesn't say, we have a great general. He says, you have a great high priest. And he has already won the battle for you. It seems like kind of a strange thing to hear when you're about to go into battle that somebody has already conquered your enemy for you. But this is what we hear in Hebrews chapter 4, that our enemy of temptation has already been conquered. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And we know who that one is. It's Jesus. We heard our two readings today. We saw David fighting Goliath, and I think this is a bit of a picture of Jesus in the wilderness fighting off the devil's temptations. And we heard about three specific temptations in the wilderness. This text reminds us that those were just the tip of the iceberg. Jesus was constantly being tempted. In fact, he was tempted in every possible way, just like we are, and he still came out victorious. So let me ask you this question, why is Jesus' victory over temptation, why is that such an important starting point as we begin this topic of temptations in our lives? Why is Jesus' victory already such an important starting point as we think about temptations in our lives? The reason is because just like any evil dictator on this earth, Satan has his own twisted version of the war that he is spreading as widely as possible. Spiritual propaganda, you might call it. So this would be like what one piece of Satan's spiritual propaganda looks like. It's the idea that Jesus doesn't really know what it's like. I mean, he's God, not a mortal human being. And the sins that are so tempting to you, there's no way that they're really that tempting to God. And plus, when we read about him in the wilderness, weren't these kind of strange-sounding temptations, climb on the temple and turn a stone into bread? Like, these are obviously God-level temptations. Jesus doesn't know what it's like to feel tempted the way that you're tempted. Jesus doesn't get you. Another piece of the devil's propaganda would sound like this. The reason God sent Jesus was to inspire you and motivate you. Jesus came to show you an example 
of how to fight. Jesus came to show you an example of how to be a good person, an example of how to resist temptation. But now that he showed you the example, it's up to you to actually do it. And there's many more pieces of propaganda we could list. The devil has his own twisted version of the war, but with his spiritual propaganda, Satan is aiming at one simple goal, and his goal is to get you to give up, to get you to give in. Like, it's not worth fighting a battle if you know you can't win. And also, it's not reasonable for God to expect you to fight this battle, because God doesn't really know what it's like from your angle. So it's just, it's okay. You should just be able to opt out and, and live the way that you want to live. God doesn't know what your life feels like. And that line of God doesn't know what your life feels like, does that sound familiar? Does it sound kind of like a snake talking to a woman in a garden a lot of years ago saying, God really doesn't want you to eat that fruit? That doesn't sound reasonable. Does God really know what your life is like? Does God really understand it down here? So Satan is very, very sneaky with the way that he packages things. And that's why, as we address this topic of temptation, the first thing we need to keep in mind, this is the important starting point, is that you already have a champion. A champion who does know what it's like. I mean, this is what our verses are spelling out for us. We don't have some high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Like, he's God, and he doesn't really know what it's like. He has been tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus knows what it's like down here. This is the whole point of why he came. This is what he's doing in the wilderness, and he refuses to use his powers to turn stones into bread and change the situation. He wants to feel it like we feel it and face it like we face it, and he does tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. Speaking of which, yes, he was without sin. Jesus faced every temptation and conquered them perfectly in our place. So Jesus is an example, but he's more than an example. Jesus is a motivator, motivator but he's more than a motivator. Jesus is your substitute. He took your spot. And his victory over every temptation you face, his victory already counts for you. Can you feel the pressure sliding off as you think about those words? What, what is the temptation that, that you struggle with that pulls at you? Jesus' victory over that temptation already counts on your behalf. The pressure slides off. And this is why it's so important to lead off any discussion of temptation by knowing that we are already conquerors in Jesus. Before the battle even starts, we know we've won. We're forgiven and free. Now comes maybe the last piece of spiritual propaganda from the devil. He says, well, now that you're forgiven and free, you just don't have to fight. You can sin however you want to. It doesn't matter because you're forgiven. But that's backwards, too. And that's not the way it works in our hearts, and that's not the way that it works in our lives. Jesus' perfect life that counts for us doesn't set us free for a life of unrestrained sin. Instead, it sets us free to climb after higher heights of godliness without having to be crushed by guilt and pressure the whole time. I'll explain to you what I mean here with uh, a quick story. So, on Friday, I went rock climbing, 
with a group from church, and some of you guys are here. Um, so we went rock climbing. It was awesome. Maybe we'll go again. Um, I have always liked rock climbing ever since I was a kid, this kind of indoor rock climbing. And I was trying to think, what was it that I liked about it so much? What is so appealing about getting to go indoor rock climbing? And I realized what it was is that when you're rock climbing, you can test your limits in a controlled environment. So you can climb something that's way taller than you'd be climbing without a rope, right? And you can reach for a handhold that is kind of far away, like much further than you'd be comfortable with, and you can just go for it. And if you climb too high, if you reach too far, and if you fall, what happens? You get caught by the rope, right? Like the person belaying you catches you. And so you can just go for it, and then if you fall, you don't fall to your death like you would if you're climbing on a cliff. You just get caught by the rope, and you can start and, and climb again. So it's like the, the rope that is holding you sets you free to do things that are more dangerous than you would try under normal circumstances. Does that make sense? And so then when you're doing it this way, you're like, I know that I'm held by the rope. I know that I'm safe. Now you can really test yourself and push yourself, and you just might find you can climb higher and farther and more difficult things than you thought you could. And I just think this is exactly what it's like to fight temptation when we know that we already have Jesus as our champion and great high priest holding on to us and keeping us safe. In Jesus, we are already God's children heading for heaven. And if it happens that we slip and fall into sin along the way, we slip and we fall into grace. The Bible makes this really clear. It says things like, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even if you slip and fall into sin, there is no condemnation for you. Or this, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God will do that for us every single time. So as we climb, as we face temptations, Jesus, our great high priest, is holding the rope that catches us if we fall. And with that rope secure, the pressure is off. No matter what happens, we're safe. And what does that knowledge do for us? Well, it doesn't motivate us to sit on the floor and not do anything. It motivates us to climb higher, to stretch our limits, to attempt things we never had the courage to attempt before. So maybe, like with Jesus holding me, and I know he's there and I see he's there, maybe now I can finally put to death that repeated sin that I've been fighting and struggling with. I keep falling into it. Maybe I can try something new and, and go for it. Maybe I can find some help. Maybe I can find a trusted Christian friend who will encourage me and, and keep me accountable in my battle against that particular sin. Or maybe if Jesus is holding me, I know he's got me, then maybe I can finally start living out my faith in some ways that I haven't had the courage to do so far. Maybe I can forgive that person that I've had a grudge against for years. Maybe I can have that tough conversation that I've been avoiding with a family member, but I know it's important. I know it's going to be for their spiritual benefit. Uh, maybe I can take the risk of talking to my neighbor about Jesus and inviting her to church. Why not? The pressure is off. I have a champion who has already defeated all temptation for me, and I go through life held safe by his forgiveness. So this is just, I think, this particular week and this particular text has helped me to think about temptation in a way that I've never thought about it before. 
Um, you always think about fighting temptation, or I always have, and just those words sound exhausting. I'm going to go fight temptation. I'm going to go battle against this evil angel who's been around since the beginning of the world. I'm probably going to lose. And it's just like this weight crushing down on you. I've got to go fight temptation. But when you're thinking of Jesus has conquered it and now is holding you and setting you free to climb, temptation stops being something that sounds so exhausting and depressing and it starts to become something that sounds almost exciting. As you look at your Christian life, the opportunities that you have, uh, how to live for God, you know, how high can you climb? With eternal victory already secure in Jesus, the sky is the limit. And so it's not with fear, but it's with excitement that we approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your champion in battle and your savior. Amen.